Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. wrap up this series uh, with our, uh, we're going to jump right into our verse that we've been using every week to kind of guide us in this, and that comes from Haggai 1, 5 through 7. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Now, it's very important that you understand when the Bible repeats itself, we should pay attention to that kind of stuff. And this verse is speaking to how we live our lives. We're doing everything that the world teaches us to do. We're we're living our lives the way everybody else does it, but it doesn't seem to be working. And when you live your life that way, and when you look around and go, this is not what I want, you need to give careful thought to your life and decide, is is what I'm doing working. And if it's not, you need to consider the fact that if your ways aren't working, you need to try God's because God's ways work. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at God's way of doing things when it comes to the subject of life and money. And we've, been, we've considered these things. The first week we talked about what, is the, what are the five things that a financial planner is going to talk to you about, just dealing with your finances. And then how do we live our life beyond those five numbers that they gave us, those five categories. And so that's what we talked about in the first message. In the second message, we talked about how we got into the mess that we're in. Because most of us, I, and I said this week after week, most of us don't have a generosity problem. Like we, we're, Christians are the most generous people that I know. The, the problem is not a heart problem. The problem is a hand problem. Our hands are tied because we owe. We owe so much money. The average American spends 136% of their income. If you do the math, that's upside down. They're spending more than they have. And so we don't have a, a, a heart issue. We've got a strapped issue. We're, we all owe too many people to be generous in the way that God leads us to be. And so we talked about how we got there in that situation. Because that's important to understand so that you can find a way out. And we talked about the way we got there is financially is the same way we get into every situation in our lives. And the way out financially is the same way out in every area of our lives. And so if you didn't get an opportunity to listen to that message, it'll be a blessing to you. That was week two. And then week three, I came with a message to talk to you about being good at being rich. And if you were here last week, you know this. The answer to this question, who are the rich people? We are. We're the rich people, right? The Bible, or in, uh, in the Bible, there's a verse uh, in Timothy that Paul is writing to Timothy. He's the pastor of a church, just like me. And he says, talk to the rich people and tell them, hey, you need to be good at being rich. And many of you are like, I'm not the rich person. But, but categorically, you understand that if you make, in your household, $40,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You are the rich people. You are the rich people that the Bible is speaking to. And he said, we need to be good at being rich. And that means to be intentional in our generosity, not just spontaneous. 
but have a plan to be generous. And this week, we're going to wrap up this series with a message that I think is, is the best message in this series because it's on the subject of the principle of first, or more commonly known as tithing. And I want to repeat something that I've said every week, and often when we talk about money here in this church. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I think people think that tithing is something that pastors came up with, but it's in your Bible, and so I want something for you because there's a blessing that's attached to this act of obedience. There's a blessing that's attached to trusting God in this way that you never get to experience unless you take these steps of obedience. And I believe that honoring God in this way will bring powerful things in your life if you'll learn it and you'll live by it. So here's what you need to know. The principle of first is found in your Bible from the very beginning all the way to the very end. When we put God first in our lives, in every area of our lives, everything else comes into order. Not perfect, not that everything goes your way, but that everything is in order. When God isn't first in your life, everything is out of order. Let me show it to you this way in, in Exodus, the principle of first. Exodus 13, 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, consecrate to me. Now, that big word consecrate means just set aside. Set it aside for me, okay? Set aside for me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. So God makes a very declarative statement here. He identifies something. He shows ownership of it. It's not suggested that it's his. He says, that's mine. Anybody have kids? What is one thing they do when they're, whenever they've got a toy? So they learn one word. Mine, mine, like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? It just, it's mine. God said, this is mine. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is mine. Jump down to verse 12 of the same chapter. He says, that you shall set apart to, to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord. See the ownership again. He says, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. What's going on here? He said, Aaron, I'm not a farmer. I don't have any lambs and I don't have any donkeys. This makes no sense to me at all. So let me help you. All right? Hang with me for a second. God is saying that in this scenario, this donkey that was born unclean, if you choose not to redeem it by sacrificing a lamb, then you are going to lose that donkey anyway, that baby donkey. You're going to break its neck. If you don't give it, if you don't bring it and give it back to God, you're going to lose it anyhow. And I believe that that principle that is there is the same with tithing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But when you don't bring it to God, you lose it. You, you, you lose it. So it's better to bring it and be blessed than to keep it and lose it anyhow. So the first thing I want you to understand about this principle of the first that we see in this verse is that the first must be sacrificed or redeemed. The first must be sacrificed or redeemed. So from those verses, I can summarize this. The first or the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. So how do you know which one to do, sacrifice or redeem it? Well, in this verse, there are two kinds of animals. There's donkeys and lambs. And according to the Bible, you're, you're looking at two classifications of animals. A lamb is a clean animal. In other words, if a lamb was born, then all you would need to do, that, that lamb that was born is sacrifice the lamb because it's clean. But when a donkey, which was an unclean animal, had a firstborn, you couldn't offer that one. You had to offer a lamb that was clean to redeem it. So the clean was given for the unclean. Does that make sense? If you got a clean one, you just sacrifice that one. If you got an unclean one, you sacrifice a clean for the unclean. It, it's important that you understand this because 
Here's why. Let's look at it within the frame reference of how we were born. Were we born clean or unclean? Unclean. We were born steeped in sin. We were born with a bent towards sin, a bent towards walking away from God. We were born unclean, okay? If you don't, if you don't, you're not on board for that, let me prove it to you by going real quick to the experts in the room. All of you parents out there, did you have to teach your kids how to misbehave? No. <laughs> they were born with a, a natural inclination to be bad. Some of them had a little more inclination than the others, right, to misbehave. But you didn't have to teach your kids how to lie. You didn't have to teach them how to hit or to bite or to take, to be selfish. You didn't have to teach them that. They were born with that in them. It came naturally to them. We're all born unclean. Now, consider this. Was Jesus, was Jesus born clean or unclean? He's clean, right? Jesus was perfect. He was God's son. He was born clean. And so the clean had to be sacrificed. Watch this careful. The clean had to be sacrificed for the unclean. In other words, we were unclean, and the sacrifice was required for us in order to be redeemed. Otherwise, we would be lost. Is this making sense to you? This is a principle that existed. This is God put this in place, and he honored it. He honored this very same principle because this, though this was early on in the Old Testament, later in the New Testament, God sends Jesus. Jesus comes, lives a perfect and sinless life, lays his life down for us so that we could be redeemed. And Jesus, Jesus was the firstborn. The Bible calls him God's only begotten son. It also refers to him as the firstfruits of man. Jesus was God's firstborn, and so he was given so that we could be redeemed. And this principle relates to money. It relates to tithing, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I need you to understand the principle of first to get there, though. Many people reject this, the idea of tithing, and I believe it's because they don't understand this one simple thing, that Jesus was God's tithe. Why? Because God gave it first. The Bible says that while you and I were yet in our sins, Jesus died for us. That, that Jesus wasn't on Calvary, and they were getting ready to swing the hammer to put the nail in his wrist, and he said, hold up, guys, I need you to hang on a second. I need to see if John's going to get his act together before I decide to uh, die here, okay? So can we just wait a little bit? I'm going to wait and see if, somebody, if, they, if they repent before I die. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus died while we were spitting on him, while we were cursing him, while we were swinging the hammer, crucifying him. He died. He did it first. God sent Jesus first because that's the way you give the tithe. You give it first. And so God's saying in this verse, he didn't say, hey, listen, wait until you've got 10 little lambs and then bring it and sacrifice it. You know, the one that's getting in the garden and eating all your vegetables, the one you don't like. He didn't say do that. He said, bring the first one. Bring the first one. You didn't even know if you were going to have any other baby lambs after the first one. But he said, bring me the first one. Why? Because it takes faith to bring it first. It takes faith to bring it first. And this principle is all through Scripture. And what's amazing to me, that the principle of the tithe, of the first fruits, the principle here, God says, hey, this is the one time that you can prove me. Do you know that? Of all the other times, all the other acts of obedience that God has for us in the Bible. This is the one that he attaches to it, the test, and he says, prove me, test me. Test me and see 
if when you obey to this, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain it. And as if that weren't enough, he goes, and it's almost like as, as if, if you call right now, if you act now, you also get this. He says, and not only am I going to pour you out a blessing you can't contain, but I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. I'll, I'll, I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. And he says, I'll do that, not for my sake, but I'll do that for your sake. So the first must be sacrificed or redeemed. And the question often comes up and when, when we start talking about the subject of tithing, of giving God a tenth of our income. It comes up as, why did God invent tithing? And a natural and logical response to that is so, so that God could further the work of his ministry here on earth. And the question I have for those of you that, that really believe that, I think that's a sincere answer. But do we really believe that the God of the universe, who his people Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, that the God who created manna on the ground out of nothing, the God who caused water to flow from a rock, the God who raised Christ from the dead, that that God needs your money to further his gospel, to further the message? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's why God, God created tithing. He, cre he created tithing. He created this principle for your benefit, not his. Why? Because God wants you to walk in faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he desires you to take steps of faith. You say, well, Aaron, I don't really believe that. Because tithing is hard. And God's a loving God. Why would he do that to me? Can I say it to you this way? How many of you have kids? How many of you that have kids want good things for your kids? How many of you know that the good things you want for your kids are often attached to hard things? Studying. Practice. Putting in some time. They may have to invest a little bit of their money. It takes some hard things to endure some hard things to obtain some of the good things you want for your kids. And God is the same way. And here's the thing with your kids, the investment that they're making, the hard things that they're, they're enduring do not come with a promise of success at all, do they? Otherwise, all of our kids would be in the NBA and all of us would be retiring with, with just, just with our kids playing ball somewhere, right? They invest in all these things and they don't have a promise of success, but God, our heavenly father, has something that's hard for us. But on the other side of it, there's a promise, not a maybe, but a promise of his blessing and that he would rebuke the devourer. He knows it's not easy, but he's promised that walking in faith works. So the first must be redeemed or sacrificed. The second thing about the first fruits is, is that the first fruit must be offered. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. There's that word first fruit again. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Exodus 23, 19, the first of the first fruits. In other words, the first part of the first fruit. So, so your first increase is the first part of that. Of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Notice that he uses the word bring. He doesn't use the word give. Do you know why? Because you can't give what's not yours. God said, it's mine. So you can bring it. So your choice in regards to the first fruits is you can bring it or you can keep it. 
You can bring it or you can keep it. That's it. Because God has a claim on the firstborn. He has a claim on the first fruits and says, it's mine. In fact, God has strong language for those of us that choose not to bring it back. In Malachi 3, he calls us thieves. And I know that's a hard thing for us to handle and to understand, but that's, what, that's how he refers to us because he says, it is mine. And he says to bring it into the house of the Lord. He doesn't say, take your tithe, your 10%, and then divide it up. I'm going to send some to this charity, and I'm going to send some here. Or I'm going to bring it to the church, and I'm going place it, to place it here and say into God's house. And I'm going to say, Pastor, this is how you have to use it. You don't get to designate what doesn't belong to you. The scripture doesn't say it. It says just be obedient and bring it. And some people like to do that. They like to take their tithe. They go, well, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give to charity, and then I'm going to give a portion to the church. But, but according to this verse, that's not the way tithing works. You bring it to God in its entirety. You bring it to his church. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to help you understand what the Bible says. And if you desire, you can give it above and beyond your tithe to those organizations, and there's nothing wrong with that, but not the tithe. God wants the first portion the first part of it, because the first part of it is the redemptive part. The part where if you, when you give it to God, he redeems the rest of it for you. The rest is blessed. We see this all throughout scripture. In the, in the story of the Israelites, when they're headed into the promised land, they have to battle the people that are there. And one of the places they come upon is the city of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, come on. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Come on, any of you guys know that from Sunday school? A few of you guys, all right? There's a few people in here. First service, they were everywhere. They were all singing with me. It was beautiful. <laughs> guys, lighten up, all right? Just breathe. But God said to the, to the Israelites when they went to fight the battle of Jericho, he said, all the spoils of that war are mine, 100% of it. It's all mine. You give it to me, you bring it into my house. Why? Because it was the first city. It was the first city. And we know from that story that there was one man who took some of what belonged to God and he hid it in his house. And what happened to him? He was cursed and he suffered dearly because of it. So God says, hey, the first part is mine. In fact, I would say this, that it has to be brought first or God won't accept it. If it's not brought to God first, he doesn't accept it. The firstborn of the first fruits belong to him. It has to come to him first. Watch this play out. In Genesis 4, we're looking at the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, these are the two sons of Adam and Eve, all right? And it says in chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Notice that it does not say he brought his first fruits. It does not say that he brought a tithe. It says that in the process of time, he brought an offering. And then it says, Abel also brought of the firstborn, there's the key word, of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. Why? Because Cain did not bring a first fruit. He did not bring it to God first. He just brought an offering in the process of time. In other words, Cain brought what he wanted when he wanted to God. That's it, guys. Just tear it up over there. That's our kids' ministry over there. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. It's that way. <laughs> you guys were like, parents started doing a, where did I come into this building today? Is it? It's back there. I'm just kidding. So Cain did not bring the first fruits. But Abel, the rancher, he brought the firstborn of his flock. And God did not accept Cain's because it was not brought first. It was not the first fruit and he didn't bring it first. He brought it whenever he wanted to. But Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, and God honored it. It's the principle of the firstfruits. 
Now, this principle, God, we see this Genesis means, the book of Genesis means the beginning. This happens at the beginning of time, at the beginning of humanity's story. And it happens 2,500 years before the law. If you understand the Bible, you understand there was, that God gave the law to the Israelites. And so tithing is one of those things that was included under the law. And so maybe you have an argument today that, well, tithing was under the law. And when Jesus came, we're no longer under the law. And so we don't have to do that. Well, I just want to say this. Did you know that adultery was also underneath the law? And I guess if we're not underneath the law, does that now make adultery okay? Oh, no. No, because that, that principle existed before the law. Do you know that lying was included? So now that we're not underneath the law, do we get to lie? Or, or that, that honor your mother and father was included there. But, but since we're not underneath the law, we don't have to do that anymore. Or should we continue to do that because that's a godly principle? And so the tithe, though, is underneath the law, existed before the law. And like those things, it's a principle. So don't miss it because it was underneath the law. Don't, don't dismiss it because it was a principle in God's word. And let me go a little deeper here and show you something. That not only would God not accept Cain's offering, not only did he not, but he couldn't. He could not accept Cain's offering. You say, all right, pastor. You don't know God very well, because you got verses coming to mind right now. God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think, all things are possible with God. So, Pastor, you don't know my God if there are, you think there are things he can't do. Well, let me help you. The things God can't do are the things that would go against God's nature. There, there are things that, would, that God could do that if he did them would be against his very nature, and so he cannot do them. And I share this with you because I want you to understand God's nature, and then I'll help you understand why you couldn't accept Cain's offering. The first thing God can't do is God can't lie. It's not possible for God to lie. Not only does God speak truth, but the Bible says he is truth. He is truth. There's, there's no possible way that he could lie because it's against his nature. God can't change. Because if God could change, then God could get better. And God can't get better because he's already best. He's perfect the way he is. God can't change. God doesn't think the way you and I think. He can't think like us. Because here's why. When you, you and I are thinking about something, we're trying to figure something out. But God's not in that state. God's got what's called omniscience. It means he knows everything all at the same time. He's never in a state where he's trying to figure something out. He already knows it. God has never sat down and grabbed a cup of coffee and said, do you know what just occurred to me? <laughs> Nothing occurs to God. He already knows it, so he doesn't think like us. In fact, he even says so about his thoughts in Isaiah. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And so here's how what God can't do relates to Cain's offering. God can't be second. God is first. It's called the preeminence of God. It means that God is higher than all. He is above all. He's first. And he has to be first in your life, in every area of your life. He must be first. And you know that if he isn't first in your life, if you haven't made that decision today, he's still first in the universe your decision to not place him first in your life does not determine his order. God is still first. And when Cain brought an offering, 
in the process of time, it wasn't his first. And God could not accept it. Abel's offering was the first. And since God is first and he'll never be second, he accepted Abel's offering. In other words, Cain brought what he wanted when he wanted, and God said, no, thank you. First fruits must be offered. And the last thing you need to know about this principle of the first is that the tithe must be first. Why? Because the tithe belongs to God, and God is first. Leviticus 27.30 says this, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. There's that ownership again. It's God's. It belongs to him, and it's holy. It's set apart for him. The tithe belongs to God. It's his property. You say, Aaron, but doesn't everything belong to God? Yep, the world and all that's in it belongs to God, but he's not asking for everything from you. He's asking for the tithe. He's asking for the tenth. And he asks you to bring the tithe so that you will step out in faith and trust him because he wants to bless you. You say, well, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me tell you something. When my kids do things that honor me, that honor my desire for them, that honor my rules, that honor the way that I want them to live their lives, do you know what I do? I celebrate with them and I bless them. I bless them with things like Wi-Fi. That's right. It is a rough day in the DeLong house when the Wi-Fi is gone. And do you know what happens whenever they don't honor me? When they don't put my desire for them first? That Wi-Fi disappears. And everything in the DeLong house comes to a screeching halt while they try to figure out what it is they need to do to get the Wi-Fi back. When my kids honor me, I bless them. And it's the same with God. When we honor him, when we put him first, we put his desire first for our lives, whether we understand it or not, whether we've ever done it and found success in it or not, those are immaterial things. God wants us to obey in this. And if we'll do it first, he'll bless us. And he blesses you so that you learn God's ways work. So I, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I enjoy math. And I'm going to give you a, a, a math illustration here. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't actually set out in school. I actually thought I was going to be an accountant. Numbers come easy to me. I do math really, really fast in my head. And, uh, and I have a son who's just like me. He does math really quick. And, and we just enjoy that. Uh, in fact, when I was a kid, I, I did math, uh, I, I was advanced in my math class, and my teacher identified that, identified a few of us that were students, and she set us into a math club. We were the algebras, you know, and uh, it's a true story, I can't make it up, and, uh, and we, we, we taught each other the math. We set out and got the lesson plan and taught each other the math while the rest of the students were a couple weeks behind us. And that, that actually and honestly led to me going to an event that I'm quite proud of. I went to the Math Olympics where I was a mathlete. And uh, <laughs> it's true. I did algebra. I did trig. I did statistics. But graphing is where I drew the line. <clears throat> You'll use it. It's fine. You'll be leaning into me later, all quiet-like, so your wife doesn't hear. What was that math joke again? Where's the list? But I enjoy math, and I, my wife, not so much. In fact, oh, she does math. She just does it very differently than I do. Uh, so, so, like, for instance, if, if you go into a store and you see something that's just simple math, 100 bucks, and it's 25% off, how much does it cost? 
So, right, yeah, but if I ask my wife, hey, babe, it's 100 bucks, it's 25% off, what does that mean? She says, it's a good deal. <laughs> okay? And I say, hey, babe, if, if it's 100 bucks and it's 50% off, what does that mean? She said, well, that means you're, it's free. <laughs> it's free. She said, yeah. She said, because if you buy one, you get the second one free. It's, it's kind of like that when it's 50% off. You have to buy two, but you get one free. And if you ask her, what's 100 bucks with 75% off? She said, now you're just making money. That's it. You're just, you're just making money at that point. So you can understand why there might be a little bit of tension in my house about the finances and how we spend our money. But, but we're very different when we approach money. And so, but but I, I love math, and so let me share this with you. If I give you a scenario where I hire you to do a job for me, and I pay you to do that job, and uh, the, job, the job is X amount of dollars, but after the costs are subtracted from it, what's left over is considered your income. So I pay you for the full amount, you subtract the cost, what it costs you to do the job, and what's left over is your income. So let's assume that you have $1,000 from the job. That's your income, because that's what we tithe on. You have $1,000 that, 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 that is your income, all right? And I give you 10 $100 bills. Are we following me? 10 $100 bills. All right, so here's the question. Here's the question. Which one of those 10 $100 bills is the tithe? The first one, right. Great. You're trekking with me now. But which one is the first one? Is it this one? Is it this one? This one here, this one here. Which one is the first one? It's the first one to leave your hand. So it can be any of those. So when you tithe... You tithe first, and it's the first one to leave your hand. But that's not how most of us do it. Most of us, we get our income, and we give money to the, to the mortgage man. We give money to the gas and to the electric, and we give money to the cable and to the Wi-Fi and the Internet because we got to have that or else all hell breaks loose in our house. we got to pay our car payment, and then we, play, we give our tithe, and we set it aside and go, that's our tithe. But that's not your tithe. You gave your tithe to the mortgage man. And what's crazy is the mortgage company does not have the ability to bless the rest of what you have. And yet that's what we do. We give to them first. And so the first one is the one that carries the redemptive blessing, where we give first. But many people only give to God when there's a leftover. But God says, I'm not going to honor that. I, I will not honor that. I cannot honor that. And you say, honor what? He's not going to honor his promise to bless you. Because it was not first. He only honors the first. In fact, in Malachi 2, he was seeing this happen over and over again with his people. They were bringing animals that were lame, that were blind, that were maimed in some way. And those are the ones that he offered to him. They were the leftovers. They were the rejects. They were the ones that they didn't already have intention for. And God said, I, I, don't, I don't and I won't receive it. And I know many of you are here in this place. It's not a it's, it's not a, a hands issue, it's, a, it, it's not a heart issue, it's a hand issue, but you say, Aaron, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to, give, to, to do that. And I'm going to tell you, you're never going to be able to afford to tithe until you do it. Why? Because when you tithe, it breaks the curse. It's in your Bible. You, you're never going to be able to do it until you do it, because it rebukes the devourer. And besides, the Bible says if you don't tithe anyway, you're going to lose it anyhow. It'll be devoured. And those of you that are already tithing, I've talked to so many of you before we got here today and after. He's like, you're right. Until I did it, I didn't have it in my budget. Until I did it, 
If I, if I decided to do it before I did it, it looked like we would be in the red if I did it. But I took that step of faith. So many stories, so many people. I took that step of faith, and it looked like we weren't going to be able to pay our bills, but God, but God, blessed. Why? Because the tithe has to be first. God wants you to trust him. He wants you to live a life of faith. So I'm almost finished here. I'm going to share one last verse with you, and then we'll dismiss for the day. In Exodus 13, it says this. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? In other words, referring to the tithe. What is this? That you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land in Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. What is this saying? He was telling the people of Israel, he said, there's a time that's going to come because they're going to look at this and think this is odd. They're going to look at this behavior and think it's odd that you need to tell them this. So basically he's saying, it's like this, a, a farmer. They've got a sheep that's about to give birth, and one day it does, and the kids run in, Daddy, Daddy, the lamb's born. It's here. Come out and see it. Mom, come see it. He's in the barn. Dad says, okay, but he grabs a knife on his way out the door. And they all get out there, and they're looking at the little lamb. Look how cute it is. Look at his little legs. They're wobbling. He's walking around. Get out their phones. Get a selfie with the lamb. So cute, so precious. And dad's like, yeah, that's cute. Grabs the back of the legs, picks the lamb up, slices its throat, and sacrifices it. And the kid watches this whole situation go down and says, I don't know what the lamb did, but it, I don't want to tick dad off in that way. And this happens year after year. The kid watches it as every firstborn lamb. Dad sacrifices and gives it to God. And so the time comes when the kid takes over the family business. And he comes to dad and he says, dad, now listen, I don't know if you know this or not, because we all have blind spots in our life, but I would like to meet with you later, and could you just leave the knife at the house? That'd be great. So he meets with dad. He says, dad, look, he said, I was going over the books and uh, the family business, and he said, and I noticed that there's something killing our profits every year, and it's actually you. Like, literally, you're killing our profits. You're, last year, you killed 73 baby lambs, the firstborn. And I just want you to know that this is, this is cutting into our profitability as a business and as a family. And I don't know if you know it, Dad, so I just wanted to tell you, and I wanted you to explain to me why you do that. And the dad was to look at his son and say, son, there's something you don't know about our family. There, there's something you don't know. You know, there was a time when we, when we were slaves, when we were in bondage in Egypt. We had no way to free ourselves. We had no way to escape. But God, with a mighty hand, redeemed us. A few years ago, I had this opportunity come up. I was sitting down doing something none of you young people know anything about. I was writing a check. Because you all use your online bill pay or your debit card or we even have text to give now, right? You can just type in a number and text it and it takes it from your bank account. It's cool. But I was sitting down and I was writing out our tithe check and my son came over and he said, he, he, it's Tyler. He's the one that does math really well in his head. And he said, 
whoa, dad. He said, what are you doing with that? He saw it was going to the church. He said, why are you giving that to the church? Are you buying something? And I said, no, son, this is, this is our tithe. This is what we give. And he said, well, why do you do that, dad? He said, do you do that every month? And I said, we do that every two weeks when we get paid. And he started doing some quick math, and he said, dad, do you know what we could buy with that? Do you know what we could do with that? I mean, he's got like trips to Disney World, basketball hoops, and all kinds of stuff in, in his head. And I said, yeah, I, I do, son. He said, why do you do it? I said, well, I said, Tyler, you know, I didn't always used to be a Christian. I grew up in church, but I walked far away. What resulted in that walking far away was brokenness, bitterness, addiction. And I didn't know how to get out. In fact, I was stuck. There was nothing I could do to get free from those things. I was was not a good man. But God, but God in his grace, God in his mercy, redeemed my life. And he gave me all that we have today. And because God did that, I'll gladly give the first of everything that I get to him and honor him in this way. Let's pray. I just want to ask you in this moment to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're new to church and you're not really familiar with what that means, we're just clearing ourselves from distractions for just a moment. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you, but I want to ask you as you do that, as you bow your head and close your eyes, what is God saying to you today? What is he speaking to your heart? You know, God wants to bless you. Not just your finances, he wants to bless your marriage, he wants to bless your kids, he wants to bless your career. But it requires faith to receive his blessing. And maybe you've known about this principle before and and you've kind of pushed it off and said, I can't, or maybe this is your first time hearing about it. Either way, when we we come to a place like this, we, we have to make a decision. That God desires to be first in every area of your life. And I wonder for those of you in this moment that God is, if he's speaking to you right now, if you take a moment to do what we call repent, which means turn another way. And as you turn another way, understanding that it's going to take you to think about it, about how your, what your life looks like when you turn. In other words, how, what you're going to do. Some of you, as you consider this, you're considering that you may have to sell something. You may have to turn something off. You may have to disconnect something. You say, why would I do that? Because it's the only way to free up some, the money in your life to be able to honor God. If you're determined to give God first, then I know you'll be determined to find a way. So Father, I pray today that you would help us to honor you in this way, to make you first in all of our lives, in every area of our lives, especially our finances, to honor you with the first, with the principle of the first, to give to you first, that we would have the faith to do it, Lord, so that we can please you, and Lord, so that we can receive what you promised us, which is your blessing, and that you would rebuke the devourer on our behalf. Lord, we know that there's, there are things and experiences that we know nothing about 
and never will until we take this step. And so we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name I pray. And as we continue in an attitude of worship, I just wanna, I wanna speak to this room. If you just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just another moment. There are those of you that are here today that you have no relationship with God. God's not first in any area of your life. But I want to share with you, this is the moment to do that. And I want to share with some kind of urgency. And I, and I want to share with you and, and maybe, maybe even just share a moment of my pain. And the pain that I, and the urgency that I have in my heart for you. Because you never know when your final breath will come. And some of you are here underneath the sound of my voice. You've had an opportunity to say yes to Jesus before. To say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Be first in my life. I'm not, gonna, I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to begin this journey to follow you. You've had that opportunity and you've let it pass you by. Don't let this moment pass you by. This morning I was told five minutes before I stepped on stage that a beautiful young man that I love passed away last night. You know, and the comfort that I've had, the way that I've been able to stand and speak and share today is that this young man said yes to Jesus. And I knew that he loved him. He wasn't perfect, but none of us are. My comfort in the loss of my friend is that he's with Jesus now. And so I share with you today, don't let this moment go by you. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor, that we're not promised tomorrow. Now is the moment of salvation. And so if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, don't let this moment slip by you. Would, you. would you just slip up your hand now and say, yeah, Aaron, I want to say yes to Jesus today. This is my opportunity. I'm going to seize it. Would you do that now? Would you just put your hand up? Don't, don't worry about anybody next to you. Just say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down now. Yeah, it's awesome. Come on, church. Let's pray together. There's people saying yes to Jesus today. Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God. I ask you to forgive me today. Today I give you my life. And I ask that you give me yours. Be Lord of my life. That means you're in charge. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.